Welcome to Reframe the Podcast, helping you reframe your thought patterns, habits and mindsets to create the life that you want to lead. Seeing the wood for the trees is something Kate Tilston is master at. Kate's life coaching methods focus on taking practical steps that ensure her clients are successful at making the changes they want to see in their lives. Kate is honest and authentic, both of which shine through in our discussion. Kate shares openly about her own battles with an eating disorder and her journey to recovery. And we touch upon the importance of supporting parents and carers of those suffering from an eating disorder. We talk about what it takes to find balance in amongst a hectic life, the power of permission and planning, rest and reconnection. I'm sure you're going to be able to take away something really practical from today's chat. Um, It was a joy to record this with Kate. Morning, Kate, and thank you so much for joining us today on Reframe the Podcast. I think a really good place to start, as always, is to ask you to introduce yourself to our listeners and tell them who you are and what it is that you do. Morning, Rose. So I'm Kate Tilston, and I'm a practical life coach. Um, I trained oh, probably about 18 years ago now and have been practicing full time um, for the last 15 years. And I trained in solution focused coaching. So all the coaching that I do is very practical. Um, It's about where you are now, where you want to get to and how you're going to get there. And we create an action plan to help you do that. And what drew you to that form of coaching in particular? I'd be interested to know. (laughs) My mum would have told you that I was the most horrifically organised child to the extent that I used to line her toiletries up in size order and colour coordinate them. Um, You know, my friends used to laugh because lipstick matched nails. Um, (laughs) She said, showing you her nails and her lipstick. Um, And I've just always been somebody that has liked practical solutions. Um, I became a coach when I got made redundant um, and it was a situation where I needed practical help to get back out into the workplace and so I went to see a life coach and she was great and she helped me move forward but I really felt that I wanted somebody to be practical with me Um, and at the end of the coaching with her um, she turned around and said to me, have you ever considered becoming a life coach? And I thought, yeah, actually, I really like this. I could do this in a different way. Um, And as I say, 15 years ago, it was a very different kind of life coaching scene, I guess. Um, And so I did my life coaching training and decided that practical life coaching was something that I could do that was different and I could make an actual difference. And that's what I, I love about my job. I love making a difference. And I know you make a difference. And you've made a difference to me, just being connected to me and my friends. So I will just share that. But Thank you. it's interesting, isn't it? You said there about how at that turning point in your life, when there was yeah. a big transition, yeah. you kind of stand in a bit of a wasteland, can't we? You think, I don't know where to go. Having that guide, that signpost can be really supportive and when we talk about health I think our mind immediately goes to fitness and food yes a little bit of meditation and yoga and journaling but actually within the domains of health things like our job and how we identify and, and how we're earning a living it's all part of the parcel isn't it yes 
I think one of the things that I'm very aware of is how much overwhelm is underplayed as part as a part of health issues. Um, you know, feeling overwhelmed can make you feel anxious. And as we know, anxiety can make you feel poorly. Um, that feeling of chaos, you know, not being in control, you know, for health for me is about balance. It's about mental health as well as physical health and looking at all those different aspects in your life. You know, let's face it, as women, we spin plates, juggle balls. We're constantly trying not to drop anything at all. And trying to find balance is, is really difficult. You know, lots of life coaches talk about work-life balance. I, I don't actually believe there is such a thing. I think that it's about finding balance full stop for you, your, your own personal balance. What works for you in your environment, with your family, with your needs, with your job, that to me is, is a healthy way to live. It's difficult when you, you're kind of sold a story that if you just buy into this, you know, I have the solution for you, follow my step, find Nirvana, but actually it has to start with, understanding yeah the context of our lives and who we are and what we would like our lives to be yes. yeah and um always aspiring as to something that's out there talking about aspirations and and aspiring and obviously a lot of the conversations that i have with people on this podcast are centered around our relationship with our physical self you know, our relationship with food our relationship with how we look you know, obviously the work i do is is quite specific in that realm but in the work that you do I don't know whether or not it's something you experience that someone might come to you stressed or worried but there's always a facet of something around their relationship with wellness fitness health food that kind of comes to the surface I don't know do you see it quite often in every your time Rose <laughs> um, and it can be the client themselves or their concerns about a member of family. I'm, I'm getting more and more mums coming to me worried about eating disorders with either their daughters or their sons and how best to manage it. Um, their fear of the pressure their children are under through social media and the effect it's having on them. Um, and with my clients themselves, Again, you know, the number of people that are scrolling through Facebook saying to me, how does she manage to fit in a morning's meditation and some yoga and then go out for a run in the evening? I can barely get up in the morning and get the children to school. Where am I going wrong? Why am I failing? And I, that just makes me so sad because these people are not failing they are living their lives to the best they possibly can and yes they would like to be healthier they can see the benefits of being healthier but they just need a bit of help and support of looking at their lives and how that fits into their life you know not not comparing it it's this comparison thing which to me is is just rife through whatever age group at the moment um, and I think it's a real issue we're all facing yeah, absolutely and social media has a lot to answer for that because yeah it hides the truth behind these yes. highly curated lives and when you hear where am I going wrong that message that it must be us that's flawed and therefore because she is 
doing this, I am less or I am failing. And we kind of internalize this sense of an ideal self and then compare yes. everything yes. to yeah. that ideal self. And that's where we begin to, as you say, fall into these really negative and damaging um, patterns of comparison. And as you say, we forget, you know, you don't get to see, you don't get to see the nanny behind you. <laughs> yes. Make it look easy. You don't get to see that they, they are highly privileged and they can pay for some a food box delivery service or yes. or all of those rocks that aren't in necessarily in that individual's jug that they just keep to the side and you know make it look so easy. Yes. And I, I think the other thing is that, you know, a lot of these, my clients, when they're talking about the effect it's having on their children, it's recognising that when they're sitting scrolling through social media and they're talking about their peers, their friends and comparing themselves, we're also setting an example for our children as to their expectations you know it's the world social media is a window that we get a glimpse of people's lives it is not the reality some of it is you know we we know that some of it is and there are the people that are up there that that put it all out there and we know the good days and the bad days they're having but I think that, as I say, this constant comparison um, to the people that seem to have it all, that manage it all, that cope with it all, they don't. Nobody does. I've yet to come across anybody, you know, even celebrity clients I've worked with who've got all those things in place. They still haven't got it all. They still crumble and fall at certain hurdles. It's... Um, yeah, I think as far as particularly with health and well-being, it's it's a very dangerous area to start getting into the comparison thing. That whole um, subject of younger people and their experiences and what they hear and see and absorb. You know, we can throw away the comments without even thinking, can't we? We can, yeah. you know, they, they can feel like nothing as we say them out loud, but they land very heavily on yes. people shoulders so yeah bringing our awareness to that I think is is absolutely fundamental what was your relationship if you're comfortable to share it like growing up with your with your body um going through your teens and so so forth yes so my early kind of my early teens just as I hit secondary school um I was okay I went to an all-girls school which I hated um, it was very, very competitive. Um, and although we didn't have social media, if you weren't a sporty person, and you know, I was the person that when they're doing the lineup and the captains are choosing, I was always the last person. So, oh, who's got who's going to have Kate? <laughs> Which did nothing for my confidence at all. I was lucky I grew up, I was very privileged in the sense I grew up in a very loving and stable home. But I also grew up in a home where the doors were always open to anyone having a trauma. So um, we had a whole host of people staying with us, living with us. Um, my dad was a teacher, my mum was a designer, you know, any waif and stray that needed a shoulder or a bed stayed. And it was quite early on that I recognised that there were certain triggers with my parents, that if I needed them to 
to pay attention, I potentially needed to have a trauma or a drama and it, then I could get them to notice. And I suppose it was fifth, about the age of 15 when my eating disorder hit. Now, prior to that, my auntie had stayed with us on several occasions and she'd had um, anorexia. And she was actually, she was um, somebody that was involved in all sorts of mind-blowing television in the 60s where she was filmed as part of her journey. So she was very much, um, almost had celebrity status. But I was fascinated by this as a child, you know, why, why is my auntie, you know, she's cutting off all the bacon rinds off her bacon. Why is she cutting this off? Why is she doing that? And everyone made a big fuss. So at 15, when I had a very um, nasty holiday experience where um, I ended up being molested, in fact, um, I, when I came home, I thought, right, nobody's noticed. What can I do? Oh, I could start cutting the bacon rinds off my bacon. Perhaps they'll know. I mean, the naivety of it is quite incredible. And it escalated from there. Now, I was very lucky. I, I obviously, I started losing weight. I started, I was demonstrating to my parents I needed somebody to hear and listen. And because of their experience with my aunt, they listened and saw very quickly. So I was rushed off to our local GP, who was the most magnificent man and was very, very sweet. He also knew that I had a horrendous fear of hospitals, so possibly frowned upon these days. But he basically turned around and said to me, we're either going to get you some help or you need to go into hospital. And of course, I was like, no, not go to hospital, not a chance, not in a million years. Um, I'll have I'll take the help. In reality, it was a long process before we found the right help. Um, and of course, I then had all the attachment to, I could see how upset it was making my mum and dad. I then felt really guilty. My auntie then felt really guilty because she thought that she had set me up and I'd learned this behavior. So then at 15, I'm managing all these adults around me as to how bad they're feeling about my eating disorder, as well as coping with my eating disorder. Um, so, yeah, it was it was a pretty grim time. I look back now at photographs of myself and think, wow, never realised I was that thin. Um, never got to the hospital stage, um, but the control thing was massive. You know, the calorie counting, the hiding food, the going out for a meal, taking a big enough handbag to put food into a serviette, into my bag. Um, yeah, it took over my life. And with the best will in the world, and I, I say this often, Rose, to my, my clients, the mums of children with eating disorders, I couldn't have been more loved, Rose. I couldn't have had more support. My parents would have walked over hot coals. This was not about the lack of support they were giving me. This was about, I looked in the mirror, I didn't know how to control my feelings, and the only thing I could do was not eat. That was it. I didn't know what else to control. Thank you for sharing that. Your story resonates very deeply on more than one level. It is exactly that the eating disorders becomes a coping mechanism. We li can literally wear our pain on the outside. It's, yes. 
communicating can see how much I'm hurting. Yes. And then a way of managing feelings that feel so big and so overwhelming that it's the, you know, when you're in it, it's very hard to let go of, isn't it? Because it's the only thing you know that you have to help you. Yes. Through all those, those really big, big emotions. And it's wonderful to hear that you felt so loved within that and you had that love through that journey to recovery and can you do you credit a certain turning point to to recovery for you do do you remember or was it as you say it's it's kind of a slow burn out of eating disorder it was very much a slow burn there are there are some significant points where I felt the penny dropped a little um you know I could bearing in mind this kind of started at 15 I can remember at 18 sitting in a wine bar with one of my best friends and we both um, worked in clothes shops and we were sitting there having a glass of wine after work and um, another friend of ours came in and she was a big lady there's there's no two ways about it and I'm going to call this lady Sue and Sue came in and I turned around and said to my friend oh my goodness, doesn't Sue look amazing? I said, she looks fantastic. Doesn't she look gorgeous? And my friend said, yeah, yeah, she does. And she said, just out of interest, um, what size do you think she is? I, I said, oh, I, I've no idea. I said, but I wish, I said, I wish I could look like Sue. And she said, um, hang on a minute. And she called Sue over and said, Sue, would you mind just telling me kind of what size you are? Bearing in mind at this point, I was probably between a size six, maybe creeping towards an eight. And um, Sue said, oh, on a good day, I'm an 18. On a bad day, I'm a 20. And I said, don't be so stupid. She said, well, no, look, look in the back of my clothes. And I looked in the back of her clothes and her top said size 18. And I looked at her and I thought, wow, (laughs) oh my goodness. I just, I couldn't get over that image. It had to be visual for me of looking at her and she looked, she was well, she was healthy. She looked beautiful. Those are the only words I could describe. And I wanted to look like Sue. And so there was, there was that penny dropping moment. But I think really it wasn't until working through with the therapist on and off, they, they have very special techniques, as you know only too well, it's what you do. And a good coach, a good counsellor will bring out those things that make life less fearful. And when I was finally brave enough to turn around and tell my parents what had happened on holiday, to somebody who unfortunately they thought was a family friend and had encouraged back into our house since, Thankfully, nothing else had happened, but I had the tools. I was given the tools by my counsellor to be able to sit my parents down and say, this is what happened. And then when they burst into tears and when then they threw every bit of guilt they had at me, not intentionally, but, oh, my God, why didn't you tell us we'd have listened, blah, blah, blah. I, I was then strong enough to deal with that and be able to go because I couldn't. And they listened. And at that point, it was like shrugging off that that need to control that fear. 
Um, so I would say those are the two significant moments for me. There were many more. And, you know, even into my late 20s, there were situations where I would find myself in the supermarket and something would have gone wrong at work and I'd be find myself checking the calories. Um, and it's a default mechanism, yeah. you know. When I feel stressed, the first thing, and I still, at 52 years old, can sit there and think, well, perhaps if I lost a couple of pounds, I'd feel a bit better. But the difference is now, my other voice says, don't be so ridiculous, Kate. Go for a walk, go out and get some fresh air. You know that that's not the drill. You know what will make you feel better, and I do know. And instead of immersing myself into that whole process again, I can get myself out of it. And for that, I am truly grateful. And so am I. And it's wonderful to hear you be able to say that. And as you say, it's that um, skill building. It's that nurturing of that kinder, more compassionate voice and, and, and thought processes. Because the eating disorder is a voice in itself. Yes. Yes. And, you know, having an ally voice who's there in your corner who can, you know, shrink that other one yeah but I think you know something you've said there that I think is very true and if for any listeners who you know as you say you're, you're coaching clients who have concerns over their own children you know if you can and, and part of the problem is accessing the support isn't it now yes yeah under eating disorder services are under so much pressure but um the, the analogy that was used in my training was it actually, the, the framework they, um, they, they taught me was a, a coaching framework, interestingly, mm. um, because it is about giving an individual a rucksack. Recovery is a, is a hill. It's a really steep hill. Yeah. And, you know, in times gone by, it was like, well, here's recovery. Start walking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um but actually it's about giving them the rucksack and putting the tools in the rucksack yes so that you know rocky bit of terrain problem solving need to go out for a meal with the family what can we do that's going to make you feel yes. safe and be able to manage it and all of those tiny little incremental steps that help us get to where where you and i are both are now which is full recovery yes. if there's any message i'd like to leave anyone with you with today is that it is possible Yes, I, I totally agree. And I also think, you know, what you've touched on there, Rose, is for any of your listeners that are parents that are concerned about children, it's okay for you to need help too, to navigate this recovery journey. This isn't just about the patient, for want of a better word. This is if you have tools in your rucksack that you can then pass over as they're climbing up that hill, you know, you're the person that stood behind them, giving them a, just a gentle shove. Um, but it, it's not, there's nothing wrong with saying, help, I don't know how to deal with this. Help, what do I do when we, we're heading towards Christmas? Do I put food on the table? Do I not put food on the table? Do I make them sit down with the rest of the family? Do I not make them sit down? How on earth can you possibly know how to navigate that if you haven't experienced it yourself? You can't. It's not your fault. You're, you're not doing anything wrong. You're not being a bad parent. You know, 
just the fact that you're asking these questions makes you a wonderful parent actually and hugely supportive well done you know go and get some help Absolutely. learn how to navigate with them you know when we go back to health in its more general sense yes how or what do you consider the relationship between taking care of our health and I know you touched upon it earlier and said you know it's the domains of mental health and physical well-being yeah but how does attending to those things help us lead that fulfilling life that we think we should be doing yeah. <laughs> you know and and help us understand what that actually feels like how do they benefit each other you know how does it all come together I think that's a really good question I think that again there's a lot of emphasis um, on the word self-care or the words self-care and it's banded around a lot and you know what does that mean what does self-care look like um, again, it's not necessarily a day at a health spa. And yeah, who wouldn't love a day at a health spa? Who can afford a day at a health spa? Who's got time for a day at a health spa? If you've got a time for a day at a health spa and you can afford it, great. But self-care for me is all those little tiny things that make up your day. And, you know, where I start with clients is actually giving yourself permission to look after you. You know, as coaches, we use that analogy so many times um, that I suspect it becomes boring. But, you know, when you're sat there doing the safety display, listening to the safety display, I should say, on an aeroplane, and they tell you that when the oxygen mask comes down, put your own oxygen mask on first before you help any others. As women, we are so bad at doing that. And I find as a coach, so many of my clients come to me saying, yes, but, yes, but I need to get the children. Yes, but my husband needs. Yes, but my mum needs me too. And so I kind of start from a place of, okay, let's look at your week. What tiny, tiny things can you change in your life for a little bit of self-care? And that perhaps really even reword that. So is it having a cup of tea, getting up at a half an hour earlier and having a cup of tea sat on the step with nobody else around before the kids get up, before you're, you have to transport into mummy mode? Is it at lunchtime having a quick sandwich and then walking around the block just to have a bit of fresh air and clear your head? It doesn't have to be a yoga class, um, going to the gym, doing a 10k run it's those little tiny things and if you can start with those bite-sized chunks of self-care and in, you know encourage them to be in your weekly routine you can build on that but we all start from this place of I don't have enough hours in the day how am I going to do this and the impact I see when people put these tiny things in place they're not tiny they're big they're little things that have a big impact, whether it's the cup of tea, whether it's the walk at lunchtime, you know, whether it's sitting down and reading a book for half an hour just to escape. You know, again, clients say to me, oh, well, I can't afford to sit in the bath with candles going and rose petals for an hour. I don't have time to do that. So don't have a really hot, invigorating shower with a really delicious moisturizing shower gel that smells wonderful that you come out and you think oh yeah I feel a bit better now 
it's those little things that create the balance. And I'm all about finding that balance, the soul soothers, the little things that make a difference, you know. It's micro moments. It is micro moments. Micro little reset. Yeah. You said there that I think I also hear a lot in my own work um, is around permission. Feeling guilty. Even if someone sits down with a cup of tea and suddenly they see out the corner right, there either some dust under the chair over there. There's this compulsion, yeah. there's this guilt that, oh, I should be, you know, I'm yeah. really productive. And I think that's, I don't know if you'd agree, but is very much tied into self-worth. Yes. And it's interesting, isn't it? I know the, the old saying, we, um, we only take care of the things that we value. Yeah. And I don't know about you but in in my experience with clients sometimes they're incredibly uncomfortable with um self-care steps yeah, um, yeah. smallest ones yes they can find it difficult to act on them and we'll come back yes. later and there'll be lots of excuses as to why and actually the yes. line that is i'm as you say I, I have difficulty giving myself permission because actually where am i in the mix Yes. I don't know if you agree. I tend to see a cycle. Once we can begin to broker these small, tiny steps, and the more they attend their own self-care, then that little little vessel of self-worth gets a little bit bigger. And yes. if it's a little bit bigger, it's easier to make that window of time that bit bigger. Suddenly these acts of self-care become non-negotiable because actually. I, I am worthy of, I can. So yes. it's, it's the starting that's the hard bit, isn't it? Yeah. And that's where I guess working with a coach can be great because there is that little bit of accountability. Yes, yeah. So one of the things that I regularly do with clients will be, I literally send them like a, a school timetable and get them to fill in what they do each day, including their working hours or non-working hours. And usually they will send that back to me. And the first thing they'll say to me is, no wonder I'm exhausted. Yeah. <laughs> and you look, and it kind of goes from the moment they wake up, they're needed for so many things. And whether you have children or don't have children, you are needed for different roles and responsibilities. And we work from that place. And you're absolutely right, Rose. It's that feeling of self-worth it's that permission giving it's that sowing the seed and once they are accountable to somebody else so if I give them a challenge like okay every day for the next week I want you to get up half an hour earlier make yourself a cup of tea and just sit there in the quiet and enjoy it oh I get emails coming back saying you are asking me to do the hardest things ever and you sit there I'm asking you to have a cup of tea it's really not rocket science it's not but it is hard it's really hard but once they've done it two weeks down the line they come back and say oh just that extra half hour in the morning it feels so wonderful and um, yeah I'm going to keep doing that now yeah. and so we build little by little step by step and it yeah and then they start seeing the differences and then it has a knock-on effect on friends and family absolutely for the better but also I think it then allows them to begin to unpick all that conditioning 
and yes. change, begin to change and shift those assumptions that we hold that we don't even take for you know don't give any thought to that yeah. our job or that's just the way it is or yeah that's what we do as mums yeah. and actually yeah. begin to feel well and have a little bit more energy to begin to question some of those things yeah we we get stronger and also we can go we can begin to look from the outside and go hold on what is it that I would like and going right back to how this conversation opened and saying what do I want for my life how do I fit this in my life I think one of the things that um I've uh, again worked with many clients on and has been a game changer for so many um, but also a really hard habit to break and it just made me think when you were saying there about that whole level of guilt we feel as parents and so many mums say to me you know the children at school all week they're absolutely exhausted at the weekends I don't want them on ele electronic devices all week all weekend you know we need to take them to ballet, to horse riding, to rugby, to football, to this, to that, to everything else. Then they've got a party. And then, you know, if we're lucky, we all get to sit down for Sunday lunch. But then they've got practice on Sunday. And I sit there and I'm thinking, I feel exhausted just with you talking. And then so what we introduce is one weekend a month. Many of my my clients that are parents, I get them to commit to no commitments. So they're not allowed to book anything in at all. And they all get incredibly panicked by that. I know, but what's little Johnny, what's little Alice going to do? Well, maybe they'd like to stay in their pyjamas until midday and recover from their week they've had at school. And maybe that's okay. And you can sit there with your cup of tea and read your book for half an hour while they watch mindless television. You're all together as a family. And maybe that's all what you need. Okay, I applaud it. I applaud that um, because I am a pyjama parent. I believe absolutely. Hallelujah. Incredibly important. And I think, again, it's these, these um, beliefs we have about yes. what makes us a productive parent, how to develop yes. our children. And a lot of that is um, motivated or it's coming from a place of fear. Yes. You know, again, we are bombarded with constant messages that we all need to be something. Yes. Our children need to be something. We need to be, we need to be, we need to be. And that chasing, and it is a sense of chasing or falling behind. You've only got to open up a WhatsApp group and little Belinda's learning Mandarin and Johnny's joined a, I don't know, <laughs> the watching club. And suddenly comparison, going straight back to comparison. We're even yeah. comparison, comparing our, how we're viewed as parents to how yes. well-rounded our children are. But actually, let's think back. I mean, gosh, you know, my parents, I just, yeah, I spent Sundays rearranging my bedroom because there wasn't anything else going on and trying to record the top 10 of my yes. <laughs> I think we turned out okay <laughs> I think we really did and and you know I just again we talk about health and well-being it's an opportunity to be together to notice things we need time to stop and not be rushing from a to b to c to d the reason one of the reasons my parents picked up so quickly on my eating disorder was that they were 
they could see they they put that time in we we weren't occupied 24 7 we were made we had to create our own fun um we had to create our own things to do they were both working parents but there wasn't this need to be constantly doing and i think that time at home is crucial to be able to just observe see where the balance lies within the family okay mum's really tired you know dad's had a tough week um the children have had a tough week that, that build up to half term particularly this winter term where children are on their knees by half term you know just take some time out no ch child is going to ever ever bemoan the fact that they've stayed at home for a weekend okay. and um, and played with their things and just been with mum dad grandparents whoever rest and rest and reconnection yeah Kate do you do you have pajama weekends then do you have pajama mornings and periods of rest how important is rest for you and, and modeling rest um yes it's really important to me I also think there's a whole realm of freelancers out there um again clients I've worked with myself um, you and I have talked about this, Rose, in, in our chats, of that guilt thing of I need to be sat at my desk at nine o'clock in the morning checking my emails. I need to be not logging off until five o'clock. I need to be available for any work that might come my way. That's what I do. Um, and while, particularly whilst you're building your business, and it's very easy to then, do you know what, I'll just write that blog after the children have gone to bed, or I'll just, you know, I've, I've said that I'll answer those questions for that journalist, I'll just write those up. Oh, yeah, you know, I know it's nine o'clock at night, but I'll just get that done. And I've learned that that is really unhealthy behaviour for me, particularly, that doesn't work for me. And it's that guilt thing again. It's that the, the throwaway comment by the well-meaning friend, oh, you're out walking the dog, lucky you. Oh, glad you got an afternoon out in the sunshine while I was slaving away at my desk. And I think, mm, do you know what? And I don't get holiday pay and I don't get sick pay. And actually, um, you have no idea what hours I do. But do you know what? I've taken a gamble and the risk is that... Um, I don't get any of those things that get tied in with a, a real job, as I'm also told I don't have. And so when I want to walk my dog in the sunshine because a client has had to reschedule or I've got a free afternoon, I'm going to. Because what it means is when I talk to my clients tomorrow, I'm re-energised and I can listen to whatever they need to talk about and I'm going to be there for them and I can switch on and guarantee them 100% of me. So I, in answer to your question, Rose, I actually have a paper diary, which I, if I've got a really busy week at work with lots of clients, I will cross out certain amounts of time where I can take my dog for a walk. If I'm working late one evening, I will start late the next day and I make sure that my life is balanced like that. And if I'm coaching, I do two Saturdays a, a month. And if I'm coaching on a Saturday, I have another day off in the week. 
where I don't look at my computer, I unplug, I read my books, I go for walks, um, I do anything that's non-coachy because, you know, it's, I, I have to be the best version of me when I turn up to work. I owe it to all the people that have put their trust in me. And so I have, you know, if I'm going to talk the talk, I've got to walk the walk. Um, and sometimes I fall over and I don't manage to do that. And then I notice the difference. Yeah, absolutely. And it is being congruent. Yes. Because without it, we can't do the work we do. But it's also understanding that the work that we do is exhausting and you have to yeah. have to be to be able to hold space you need to be able to hold yourself and yeah I absolutely agree and that the, the words you used when you were describing the the when we can have boundaries that become a little bit too fluid <laughs> for want of a better word and as you say it is you know it's feast or famine when you're you're freelancing so it's really really difficult it's very difficult um, but the I'll just, I'll just, I put in the same camp as I should, I must, or I ought to. Yeah. And when we've got way too many of those on the scales and not enough I want, well, then yeah. you know, we're, we're tipping the wrong way, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah. On that note then, I mean, you know, what, Three very simple things do you think someone could take away today with all, you know, everything we've discussed in, in, in mind? What kind of three actions could they put into motion to support themselves today in a very practical solution focused <laughs> Do you know what the first one would be? Give yourself permission to plan. You know, we... We all love this idea of being completely spontaneous. And, you know, I, I want to have spontaneity in my life. Well, unfortunately, as you get older and you have responsibilities, you have to plan spontaneity. So you have to create the space where you have that free weekend, which when you suddenly think, oh, it's a beautiful sunny day. Oh, great. We've got no commitments. We can all get in the car with a picnic and go to the beach. Or we can all go and visit somebody that we haven't seen for ages, let's just be spontaneous. But you have to plan for that moment. And it starts with that permission. So it's giving yourself permission to plan. It's realizing that you are a grown up, you do have responsibilities and planning your life will, will remove some of the chaos. It will remove the overwhelm. So I would say that's the first point. I would say the second point would then be to put in place practices that make your life easier. And again, this isn't about what your best friend does. It's not about what you read in the media, what you look at on social media. This is actually sitting down on a Sunday and meal planning during my working week makes my life easier. And if we're going to eat really boring things Monday to Friday, and it's the same repetitive thing every week, but that means I'm less stressed. That means the children then are less stressed because it's, I know what I'm doing. Great, do it. Whatever makes your life easier and follow through on those practices. And you know, if you meal plan and it is the same meals week in, week out, once a month, change it all up again. Put it in your diary, flag it up. The first Sunday of every month, I'm gonna do a new meal plan. 
but it, I promise it will make life easier. And I think I would really recommend one weekend a month having no commitments. And I appreciate that children and other people, adults, are tied into clubs that perhaps they've paid for. But next time, before you say yes to that, just think about what you're saying no to. And that might be a line. It might be some time at home. It might be an opportunity for you all to just muck around as, as a family. Um, but if you have got commitments, keep them to an absolute bare minimum. And then once Saturday morning's out the way, just have downtime and keep it free because it will make such a difference to your life. And I think if, though, if you can follow through on those practical things, you'll start to notice some changes. It won't happen overnight, they never do, but um, it will make a difference. Um, my three takeaways from, from everything you've said, um, and I love, I love that phrase, permission to plan. You're absolutely right, it's part of adulting, um, is <laughs> to make that space. Um, good enough is enough. Yeah. If you have jacket potatoes on a Thursday, you have jacket potatoes on a Thursday. Good enough. Yeah. And um, I love what you said there about before you say yes, ask yourself what are you saying no to. Yeah. If we filter all our decisions through that, we probably make some different ones. Yeah. You know, it, it's that friend phoning saying, you know, oh, what are you doing? We, we all get caught up in this instant response because email and thing, everything is so instant these days. Somebody's text me, I need to reply now. And I often say to clients, you know, again, Rose, you and I have talked about when we were growing up, but when we were growing up, you'd have had to either ask a parent or you'd had to say, do you know what, I'll go and look at my paper diary and I'll let you know whether I'm around on Saturday. You can still do that just because they've texted you. You don't have to reply instantly. Or if somebody phones you, turn around and say, do you know what, I just need to check a few things and go back to them with, really sorry, can't do that weekend, would love to catch up, throw across some other dates and we'll see what we can do. No more complicated than that. And the final question I'd love to ask you, Kate, um, I ask everybody is, well, my brother likes to ask the question, if you had a billboard by the side of the M25, what would your billboard say? <laughs> to position it, if you were stood on top of a mountain and everyone was below you, what would you say? But in other words, what one message would you want to leave everybody with? I've thought about this a lot. And I think the pandemic has really illustrated this to me even more so and I was very lucky because I grew up with this mentality around me and I would say I would want to stand on top of a mountain and say the smallest kindest gesture can make the greatest difference yeah yeah I think that's that's lovely and it's a if we all set that intention every day, the world would be a very different place. And I love to think that you grew up with that. <laughs> yes, I did. Thank you. It's, um, and, you know, it doesn't, it's the small gestures. It's the small things. It's the listening to the person. Lots of listening. Lots of listening. You can make a big difference. And I think that's a lovely point to leave our chat on. And I just want to thank you for so much, well, both your honesty and to your wisdom today. Um, it's been incredibly valuable. Thank you, Kate. 
Thank you, Rose. It's been a huge pleasure. Thank you for tuning in and we hope you're able to take something of value away from today's episode. Perhaps one small action you can put into practice today. If you are enjoying Reframe, then please do subscribe and rate the podcast as this helps us reach more lovely listeners. As always, here at Reframe Club, we are rooting for you.